Good morning. Couple, just a couple quick things before we get started. Number one, as you can tell, my voice, I'm a little sick, uh, so hopefully I'll make it through this. Um, but it's football season, which means you play when you're hurt, and so I can play when I'm hurt. So I just get back in there and smack on the backside and have a go at it. So second thing is I want to throw, uh, throw a prayer in. Uh, I appreciate taking uh, a prayerful pause about, you know, what's happening in our city, and, and when you read the Psalms, you'll, you'll, you'll read through the Psalms, and there's a word that shows up that maybe doesn't always make sense. It's, it's Selah, S-E-L-A-H, which means to have a prayerful pause, and, and David would often, in, was in terrible situations, and he would, he would not hide that pain, but he would say it to God, but then he would have a prayerful pause, and, and then God would begin to strengthen him, and, he, and his tune would change. And hope would come back in. And I hope that, uh, I like that we have a church like that who is honest about pain and suffering, but yet takes that prayerful pause. And I don't want to do that just with wisdom. I want to pray for us to have wisdom and humility. Pray for myself, an activist more than, a, than you know, just thinking about stuff. I want to do stuff. And God's given us opportunities every day to do something about the pain and suffering in our world. So I just want to pray for myself for humility and wisdom. And perhaps you would want to pray the same prayer and I want to pray for it together. Father, I just thank you um, that you give lavishly of your spirit, a spirit of humility, a spirit of wisdom. Lord, we have not because we ask not. God, I pray that you would humble myself to uh, see more uh, keenly, be more keenly aware of just uh, the hurt and pain around me and give me the wisdom and the courage to do something about it. Lord, every day there's, there's an opportunity, there's a good work that you have prepared for me to do. God, I want the wisdom to do that. And Lord, and I pray for all of us together as a community, that as a community we would walk in humility and with all wisdom, taking advantage of every opportunity as the days are still evil, awaiting your amazing return. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We are uh, in week two of a series called Getting Past Your Past, and our hope in this series is that we can break free from our past so that we can look forward to our future and make the most of our present. Uh, but if we're honest, a lot of times we, we think that we've dealt with our past, but our past is always right here. It's just, it just keeps coming up, it keep, like a broken record. It just keeps coming up, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And, and like last week, so we talked about identity, how identity plays into how we get past our past, that as Christians, God has made us new creations, that the old is gone and the new has come. And while others may regard us as the same old, same old, uh, we are to regard ourselves as being new creations, that we are free from the guilt of our past, free from the shame of our past, free from the condemnation and punishment of our past, that we are new creations. And as I study this, which I hope as we preach different texts that you're not just hearing what we say, but you're, you're taking that word and you're taking it home and you're, you're meditating on yourself. And, and as Dylan preached that and other location past, pastors preached that in their message, I took that passage and I wanted, as I began to look at it, the, the phrase that stuck out to me is, it says that we shouldn't regard others according to the flesh. And that word flesh just means by humanly wisdom, human wisdom, but don't regard others according to the flesh. And what would it look like for our fellowship, our community, if we pulled that one off? That we treated each other not based upon, you know, what you said about me last week, but we treated, we treated each other based upon the fact that we are now new creations. I'm not, we're not treating each other for what you did to me, 
but I'm treating you as a blood-bought child of God who's now made this new creation. How attractive would that be for a community to always be treating us, not, as, not, not based on the actions and how we treat each other, but how God sees us? I mean, it would absolutely transform our community. Now, think about this. How awesome would it be if that permeated every square inch of our planet? That people treating each other, not as they deserve, but seeing them that way. It would absolutely squash and shatter any hint of racism. It would shatter anger and violence. Uh, Everybody in the world would be happy except Mark Zuckerberg because Facebook wouldn't exist, but... um, (laughs) Our cable news, um, we still have local news. Five would still be on your side, but we, would, we wouldn't, have, uh, wouldn't have cable news or social media. Now, I've got some good news. I've got some bad news with some more good news, kind of a good news, bad news sandwich. And the good news is that this, this will exist one day. It's called heaven. And, and listen, don't belittle the hope of heaven. Don't belittle the hope of heaven. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, like if you... If, I don't know if you exercise, but like, what is, when you're like in a vigorous exercise routine, what's the best part of that routine? It's when it ends. Right, exactly. (laughs) That's the best part. That's the best part. And so if you're in the middle of vigorous exercise and you know that it's going to end in 27 minutes and 26, there's this hope. There's, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Imagine a vigorous exercise routine that would never, ever end. And you just, man, hopelessness would set in. But hey, look, I'm, t- I'm here to tell you that routine is going to end. When we look out into the world and there's pain and there's suffering, it's coming to an end. God, only God and only God has the time, you know, the, the stopwatch that, to know when this is going to end. No one knows the day or the hour, but it's going to end. And he will wipe away every tear. And he will put an end to death and disease and all the things that ills us. So that's the good news. The bad news is we don't live in heaven. But there's more good news. The second piece of good news is that there's a very real sense that we can bring at least a piece of heaven more and more here on earth. And there are two very, very powerful tools how we can do this that I want to talk about over the next couple of weeks that have to do with getting past your past. And the first one is called forgiveness. That you have been given the power to forgive that flows directly from the cross of Christ. And it flows directly from the gospel. There's only one thing in the Bible that's called the power of God, and it's the gospel. Uh, Paul dis- declares in Romans 1 uh, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God, and forgiveness flows from the gospel, that you, uh, we who are sinful are forgiven by God, and that forgiveness flows from Jesus, from the gospel to us, and it's meant to flow from us to others that you have been given amazing power. You've been granted access to unleash this in your life and in the life of others. There's kind of a weird mystical verse. It's always kind of stumped me. I don't know if it stumped you. It's in Matthew 18, 18, um, a few verses before what was read. It says, truly, truly, which just means for reals, for reals. I say to you, (laughs) whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Meaning like you could take heaven, you have, there's, there's things uh, in heaven that God wants to bring to you and you have the power to bring that to this world. And forgiveness is one of those things. You, you are not a victim 
of your circumstances. You're not a victim of what other people have done to you. you. You don't have to live in that bondage. You don't have to live in that trap. You don't have to live in that prison. You've been given a power. You've been given a tool. You've been given a key, and it's called forgiveness. God forgave us, and he wants us to extend that to others. And, and I, unfortunately, man, we just mess this up as Christians. It reminded me of a story I heard last week. It's a familiar story with a very unfamiliar ending. Um, this lady in London in 1978 had a cat that went up a tree. We've all been there. And the, she couldn't get it down, and so she calls the fire department, and the fire department comes, and they get out their tools and their ladder, and they're able to get this cat off the tree into their arms, and then they take the cat from their arms into the arms of this sweet old lady. And this old lady was ecstatic. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this. This is amazing. They're feeling good about themselves. They're like, Will you, I want to give you tea, and I want to give you treats. So they come inside, and they have tea and treats, and she just keeps lavishing praise on them. And these firefighters, they leave all like super feeling good about themselves, talking about how wonderful the treats are. They get in their fire truck, and they back up and run over the cat. Let us sink in. And so we, there's a point. I swear to you, there's a point. And here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point, cat lovers, up here. Cat lovers. The, the point is this. As Christians, as Christians, we do this in the area of forgiveness. And here's what I mean. Is that we receive the forgiveness of God and we, we pledge to follow him, to leave things. And we're, we're coming to church uh, regularly, we're giving, we're serving, we're, we're doing all this stuff. So we, we rescue the cat out of the tree and then we don't forgive somebody. We run over the cat. It's all pointless. What Christ has done for you, it's, it isn't actuated in your heart if you're not forgiving someone else. And that's one of the things that Jesus wants to bring home to us is that the only reason why you wouldn't forgive is because you're unaware or have forgotten how God has forgiven you. So he says, I want to tell you a story. And then he says, he, and this is really important, and if you have your own Bible, not the Bible under the chair in front of you, but if you have your own Bible, I want you to underline this phrase. When Jesus, anytime you see this, the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus would often say that. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven could be compared to. Because what he's getting ready to say is, this isn't how it is in earth. And I'm going to show you a different way. You may not have seen this before, but let me show you what his kingdom is like. And he tells a story about a king analogous to God and a servant who owned an unpayable debt to that king that is analogous to us. And a third par party who owned a sizable debt, but nothing to the debt that we owned analogous to others whom we are called to forgive. And we learned two very important things uh, that I want to point out. I mean, we could talk about forgiveness for a really long time. But there's just two things I want to talk about today. It's in verse 27, and this is the key to forgiveness. It says, out of pity for him, so this is a king, out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him of the debt. So to forgive someone is to have pity on them, and it's to release them from their debt or to cancel the debt. So you don't owe me anything more. It's in, it's in the past. I for, I'm forget, it's done. So first of all, to forgive someone is you must take pity on them. The word pity can also mean compassion, to sympathize, to empathize. And if you study the life of Jesus, as you read through the Bible, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus often was motivated to action 
primarily out of sympathy or empathy. So he would have compassion on the crowd, so he'd heal them. He had compassion on them, so he would teach them. And he'd do all these different things. And this story and this king, before he forgave, he was about ready to give judgment. And this guy deserved judgment. But this king, says, it says that he had pity on them. He had compassion on this person. And he forgave them. Hebrews is just enthusiastic. The writer of Hebrews is just enthusiastic when he says that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, this is amazing. That means that Jesus, on, he's on the cross, and he is being mocked by us. He's being murdered by us. And his first emotional response to us is sympathy. What? He sympathizes with us. He, he doesn't judge us, but he sympathizes with us. And because he sympathizes with us, we can sympathize with others. And when we fail to sympathize, what ends up happening? See, because our hearts, we want to point out what's different about other people. But when you're a person who is consistently sympathy, sympathizing and showing empathy, you're, you're looking to see how we're the same, not looking to see how we're different. And that's what it means to become a person. So you're, you're looking to say, this is how we're the same, when our hearts would rather point out the differences. And when you do that, when you lack sympathy, you're not, you don't forgive, your heart grows bitter, and you begin to caricature them. You know what, if you ever go to like Six Flags or something and you see caricatures, like they take one, you know, the eyes, the, the nose, or the, something that's slightly bigger, and they just make it super big. You know what I'm saying? And, and that's all you see. So you see, all you see up there are ears. All you see up there is a, is a no. That's all you see. And when you fail to sympathize with someone, you, you fail to see them as human, and all you see is that issue. So somebody lies to you, and somebody comes up to you and says, like, why did they lie to you? Because they're a liar. All you see is that issue. Well, do you ever lie? Well, yeah. Well, why do you lie? Well, it's complicated. I'm nuanced. I've got, I'm three-dimensional. There's reasons to why I lie. But they lie because they're a liar. So when you fail to sympathize, you, you begin to do... And then, now, this is huge for... I mean, I'm um, thinking about just kind of what St. Louis is going through. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who say, man, they're just a bunch of thugs. They're just a bunch of criminals. They're just a bunch of racists. They're just a bunch of bigots. So we take that issue and that's all we see. All we see is that there is there this or there that. And here's the thing. You and I do the same thing with other people. So how do you make a difference when, the, when you see these macro issues in the world and we think that it, it's, it's somehow compartmentalized in our life? But we all contribute to the problems of misunderstanding when we do this, regardless of whatever the issue is, when we fail to sympathize with people and show empathy to them. Tim Keller says this about forgiveness. He says, unforgiveness is a failure to include my offender in the community of humans. And so what happens when you don't show empathy for someone, you end up dehumanizing them. And when you dehumanizing them, all hate can unleash upon them. And you feel justified in doing that because you've dehumanized them. So when you fail 
to put your offender in the community of humans. They're a liar. They're a thief. They're whatever. And then secondly, it's a failure to include myself in the community of sinners. That you don't see what you've done. And here's the good news. There are some things that you've done and Christ has cleansed you of that. And as he has forgiven you, he wants to make you an agent of that same forgiveness into this hurting and broken world. So to forgive someone, number one is to have compassion, empathy, sympathize. Number two, forgive is to cancel the debt. And this is the big point, is this guy has a debt and it gets canceled. Now, the size of this debt is absolutely enormous. Uh, It was 10,000 talents. A talent was worth about 20 years' wages of the common worker. 20 years. For those who are not good at math, that's about 200,000 years of wages, or in other words, 3,000 lifetimes. It would take the common man 3,000 lifetimes to pay off this debt. In other words, this was an unpayable debt. Guess what? You had an unpayable debt. And the point of this isn't to say, well, somehow you found out this money, you know, then God would, you know, if you had to pay it off. He's trying to tell a story, say, you'll never pay this off. This isn't happening. It's just like when he says, um, you know, how many times do I have to forgive? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. So it's not like, well, if you do it 490 times, ding, I'm out. I don't have to forgive the person anymore. I mean, that's what my son Simon's very literal, and that's what he would do. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, until you got 490. I don't have to forgive you anymore. That's not Jesus' point. It's point. It's point, Simon. It's point, church, is that you had an unpayable debt. And when you have an unpayable debt, what do you need? The correct answer would be mercy. When you have an unpayable debt, you need mercy. But what did the servant ask for? Did you notice that? Verse 26, he needed mercy, but he asked for patience. So so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. He asked for patience, but he needed mercy. We are the same thing with God. We, we, We come to him and ask him for an opportunity to pay off the debt and we ask for patience when we need to be asking for mercy. God, if you just give me another chance. What do you mean, like 3,000 lifetimes? God, if you give me a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth, a, a, a three billionth, it's not going to be enough. So we bargain with God even though that we have nothing to bargain with. If you do this with God, if I, God, if I do this for you, then will you do this for me? We ask for patience. We, we need to be asking for mercy. But we don't need patience. We don't only need patience from God. We do need patience. But what we really need is mercy. The good news is God gives us that mercy. Psalm 103 says he does not treat us as our sins deserve He shows us mercy. And when we ask God for patience and not mercy, it's a sign that we have miscalculated our debt. The reason why this unforgiving servant asked for patience and not mercy is because he had miscalculated his debt. He just thought he needed more time. And here's the truth. Most people who sin against you, they miscalculate the debt they owe you. They almost always underestimate the pain that you've experienced. They most always underestimate the injury that they caused. So don't expect them to. Don't look for them to properly calculate what they owe. Here's a misconception 
that people have about forgiveness. I'll forgive them when they say they're sorry. Ever say that? When they finally realize what they've done, when they finally prove to me that they understand my pain and my hurt, newsflash, write this down. They ain't coming. They will, we do this, and they will always miscalculate the debt that they owe. So let's not expect them to properly calculate the injury that they've caused. Now, our hope is within a community that we would seek to understand and we would seek to, we would seek to understand the pain, the pain that we cause others. But let's not put that on other people because they're never going to do it. Guess what? You didn't do it. We had no idea of the debt that we owed God. It says that while we were still sinning, we were actively accruing more and more debt. And that's when God forgave us. While we were accruing a bigger and bigger debt, Christ has died for us. God does not expect that. We should not expect it others. And this king in the story, he canceled the debt. And he did so, and he put his kingdom at great risk. Because what we're talking about here in actual money is somewhere between, on the low end, $20 billion, upwards of $1 trillion. Now, that would probably, if, if somebody owed you that much money, that'd probably wreck your personal finances. Like that would, and it would probably wreck the finances of even a kingdom, of a, of a sovereign nation. So to forgive someone, someone had to pay this king and absorbing this debt said, I'm going to have to take a hit. I'm going to have to pay. I'm going to have to, can't, this is going to affect the kingdom that I lead. It's not just sweeping it under the rug, but the king says, I will pay for it. So if you break a dish, if you borrow a dish from a friend and you break it, the friend says, don't, somebody's looking at each other like, sorry. If, 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 if they break that dish and you say to them, don't worry about it, what they're saying is, I'll pay for the dish. I'll either not have a dish anymore, or I'll go out and buy a new one. They're not, they're not just sweeping it. Under, it's not like it just poofs in the air. The gospel isn't that nobody pays. The gospel is that Jesus paid. Jesus took your sin your specific sin, your general sin and your specific sin, he took it in his body and he paid the debt. When you forgive someone, you cancel the debt that they owe you and you pay it and you pay it. And check this out. The injury to you is real. The debt that this other person owed was not insignificant. It says it was 100 denarii, which is about three months' wages. So if somebody owed, I don't know what you get paid every, every month, but whatever that is, if somebody owed you three times whatever you get paid in a month, you would probably want that back. It's not an insignificant debt. God is not ignoring the fact that you've been hurt, but in the same token, so he, he's not ignoring that somebody's injured you, but he doesn't want you to ignore the fact how you've injured him and how much he's forgiven you. So he's not saying, hey, what that person did to you was insignificant. It's like, come on, you crybaby, just get over it. That's not what God's saying. He's recognizing that that pain you experienced was real and it was significant and he's not ignoring that fact. In fact, it says so beautifully in the Psalms that all of our tears he collects in a bottle. He knows every one of them. He sympathizes. He's a God who sympathizes. So he's not ignoring the debt. He just doesn't want you to ignore the debt that you owed. Just like in this story. The three months wages was not insignificant. But it, it wasn't $20 billion. It wasn't that kind of a debt. 
Here's another misconception. I can forgive when I, I can't forgive because I can't forget. I can't forgive this person because I can't forget about it. It just keeps coming up, keeping up. Here's, let me flip that for you. You can't forget until you forgive. Forgive is the beginning point of, of things, of you getting this into your past. Unforgiveness is the decision to regularly review the path, to review the offense. Unforgiveness is just looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. Forgiveness starts a pro- process of forgetting what's been done to you. Or here's another one. I ju- I'll forgive the person. I just need time. Give me some space. Give me time. You know, time heals all wounds. You've heard that? Time heals all wounds. Time's heal nothing. Time just gives opportunity. You see, the Bible calls unforgiveness bitterness. It comes and it, and it calls it a root of bitterness. So this unforgiveness is not mechanical. It's organic. It's alive in you. And when you give it time, it just grows a deeper and deeper root. And, and it can, over many years, it can become this complicated root system. If you can't, I mean, you try to pull that out. That's why it feels so real. And, and God wants, that's why the best time to forgive someone is immediately. The best time to forgive someone is right away. There's never an easier time to forgive someone than right away. The more you wait, the harder it gets. That's why Jesus says when you're at the altar and you're worshiping, and take your gift and set it aside and first go make it right with that person because there's never a better time than right now. There's a story I read just about the depth of pain and, and forgiveness uh, from in the life of Corrie ten Boom, who was a Dutch woman who lived in the Netherlands during World War II, and her and her si- sister Betsy were hiding Jews during the Holocaust but got caught and were put in a concentration camp. And in that camp, her sister Betty died, but Corrie ten Boom survived and became a famous author and speaker around Europe. And this is, she tells a story that happened just a few years after she was after the war ended, and she came face to face with one of the guards in this concentration camp. And this is how she tells the story. She says, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the, uh, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the shame of walking naked past this man every day. He walked up to me and said, you mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there, but since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I'd like to hear it from your lips. His hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, Betsy had died in that place, I thought to myself. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men of their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did that, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into the joint hand. 
And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Today, regardless of the size, the depth, the quantity of the offense, you really can forgive. And you will unlock a prisoner when you do that. And the prisoner isn't the other person. The prisoner is you. You're the one who's suffered by not forgiving. And God wants to give you the power to break you out of that prison and bring heaven to earth. And I know we have a lot of rationalizations why we won't forgive, but let me just give you a glimpse in the future. I don't know if you noticed this, but what did the servant say the second time before he came to the king? If you look back over that text and you looked and looked and looked to see what he said, you'll never find it because the servant said nothing because there was nothing to say. And God forbid that I stand before my Father in heaven and I see Jesus with his nail-scarred hands and feet and wound in his side and have to give an explanation for why I didn't forgive. I will say nothing because there will be nothing to say. Because Jesus on the cross stood in front of the mockers and the murderers. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as we contemplate, the key to this is that we, can, we need to understand and see Jesus on the cross. We need to see the gospel. We need to see how he identified with our sin. Later on in 2 Corinthians 5, that was addressed last week. It said that he that knew no sin became our sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. You see, in this story, this unforgiven servant was a servant, but when we went and choked the other servant, he was, it was a servant acting like a king. On the cross, you have a king acting like a servant for us. And if you could see how far he went and the price that he paid to forgive you, it will release you. It will unleash a new power in you that you've never experienced. And it's the power to be able to forgive someone else. And think about it. Do you really want to live in a world where there is no forgiveness and we all get what we deserve? We all want justice, but we want justice for other people. We don't want justice for ourselves. In a world where everyone gets what they deserve, they did this to me, so I'll do this to them. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's a world where we all end up blind and toothless because we're all been there. We've all been there. I don't want that world. I want to see Jesus dying for my sin. I want to remind myself of the unpayable debt that he paid for me so that I can release people of the significant yet smaller debts that they owe me. And I want that for all of us. I want us to be able to break free from our past and leave our past in our past. Why don't you get out your communication card?